This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to A's Cast Live as we'll be getting you ready for the athletics and the White Sox coming your way from the south side of Chicago, as they like to say. After last night's game was a tough one where the athletics uh, took the loss as they had the lead early but could not hold it where the White Sox will get a run in the third a run in the fourth, a run in the fifth, a run in the sixth, add another one in the eighth, and they would win five to two. And today is all about a former White Sox. It's about Chris Bassett. The Athletics, this is an interesting series. And we played it all day yesterday, and I still believe it today. I'm glad that they're playing a series like this. Now, of course, if you notice, the Astros lost yesterday, so the A's are only two and a half games back still. But the fact that you're playing somebody that's a legit team, you're playing a team that's got power, it's got speed, it's got athleticism, it's a good matchup for the A's to see where they are and to do it on the road. And let's see what you got in game two with Frankie Montas. I mean, I mean, not Frankie Montas, with uh, Chris Bassett. Who better would you rather have on the mound right now tonight than Chris Bassett at guaranteed rate field? Love it. It's going to be an interesting one. We got a great show for you today because we have a World Series MVP. We have a guy who was a terrific A and he was a terrific White Sox. Jermaine Dye. Of course, won the World Series with them in 05, was the World Series MVP. He was terrific for the A's when he got uh, sent over from the Kansas City Royals in a three-team deal. Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com, will be here at 315. Jermaine Dye will be here at 330. And we know something about Chris Bassett. He loves to pitch at home, and he loves to pitch against the White Sox. He loves going up against his old team, and I dig it, and I can't wait to see it. And one thing that we've been talking about with the A's, they got to get better against teams that are 500. Is it a must? No, but I'd like to see it. 
Being 22 and 32 against teams that are under 500 is no bueno. It's not a good look compared to the team you're chasing. The Houston Astros are 37 and 27. Now I got some phone calls in the postgame show last night. And I think people think, ah, oh, you know, Houston can't lose. Well, Houston lost. That last night was the kind of game. If you can't win that game, you can't win the World Series. Folks, I can't say it enough. You just got to get in. And we have seen that time and time again. And doesn't mean you always have to be hot, but I would like to be the team that's red hot going into the postseason. I would love to be that team. I would love to be the team that has full confidence that says, let her rip. That's why some of these wild card teams are so scary. You know, you got to face that wild card team that's been kicking everybody's butt. Now, that really played when there was no wild card game. Because remember, that wild card team just went right into a series. And they were like, I don't care who we're playing. We've been playing playoff baseball for three, four weeks to get into this thing. What does it matter now who we're playing? Bring it on. We'll fight you in the alley. We'll fight you anywhere you want to fight. I think we have to stop thinking like, oh, my God, we lost this game. We have no chance. The sky is falling. And you know what's funny? It, it's, it, it's, it's sometimes scary when I have to be the voice of reason because I'm the guy who's flying off the ledge more than anybody else in the postgame show. We got to, we still have, we, this is a sprint to the finish with a lot of baseball left and going to be some fun baseball coming up too with teams coming up with the Giants and the Yankees. You still got to finish with the Chicago White Sox. The A's got to get better. One of the things they got to get better at is adding on. Good teams will add on. And when you look at yesterday's game where they had that opportunity, and Bob Melvin brought it up in the postgame show. In the second inning, they had a chance to put up a big number. You got to take advantage of that. And the A's haven't been great at that this year. At times, but they are who they are. They're streaky. They can be streaky good. They can be streaky dangerous. And then, then, then they can be like streaky, ugh, what am I watching? And something that we got to see last night, and I don't care what people say, hey, listen, you know, recently Dallas Keuchel, uh, you know, hey, recently Craig Kimbrell, hey, Liam Hendrick. I do not want to face this team going into the, let's say, the top of the seventh inning down. I, I, I would not want to do that whatsoever. I got a bad feeling if you're down against the Chicago White Sox going into the seventh inning, it's a uh, good morning, good afternoon, good night. And you saw it last night. They've got power arm after power arm after power arm. This is a bullpen, and bravo to them. They built a bullpen that exactly the way you want your bullpen to look in the postseason. Where every dude's coming out and he's bringing high velocity. They're all very, very uncomfortable at bats. 
I mean, to think that you're going to go Kimbrel to Liam Hendricks or Liam Hendricks to Kimbrel, that's devastating. That's That reminds me of the Blue Jays in the early 90s when they had Hinky and Ward. I mean, it was just bringing cheese at you. How about John Wetland and Mariano Rivera as the setup guy? I mean, those are scary. I mean, those are something you think about. When you get that lead late, you're looking down that bullpen, you're like, man, they got multiple closers. They don't got one guy. They got two guys, let alone three to four guys, that can be that closeout guy. It's impressive. You know, this game is built on bullpens now for the postseason, and the White Sox, I don't know how good they'll be inside the post. They're going to the postseason. Now, how they'll fare in the postseason, I don't know. I like the way they're constructed, though. I think there's no question about it. So a special day in the Townsend household today. The second twin passed her driver's test. So today I was at the DMV in Las Gatos. They do a great job there. In, take the test, out. She got 100%. What did you, Cody, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, what did you get on your driver's test? Now, this is the the written portion you're talking about, right? Like the no, there's no written portion anymore. Well, well, you're not talking about the driving test. You're talking about the are you talking about the actual driving part, or like to get your learner's permit? The actual test. Oh, I don't, not driving test. The oh. actual test. It's all done on a on a kiosk now. Oh, I I think I did. It was like twenty questions, and I think I got uh, that's it. It was 20. Well, because you had to do 20 questions, then you actually had to do the driving test here is less complex than it was in Pennsylvania. You actually had to get in a car and drive in parallel park here. They they have to do that. Uh, From what I've heard from people, you get in a car, turn the car on and turn your turn signal on it. Ah, driver's license. No. And by the way, uh, she had well over 40 questions. She didn't have 22 questions. I think they have to dumb it down for the Midwest. (laughs) Uh, I think I got like 18 out of 20. She got f- whatever it was, 46 out of 46. That's impressive. That's really good. Very legit. So then, as a congratulations, because really, the one daughter passed in July, and this daughter passes today, I'm looking at, you know, two designated drivers when we go to, when we go to dinner now. Daddy's <laughs> not going to have the limit anymore. Uh, so I was very thankful. So went to the yard house for lunch today to celebrate. And guess what? Guess what was on the television at? We got there about right before noon. Oh, I know what you're gonna say because I I was gonna bring it up. Uh, it's on all day because there's a doubleheader. No, th- why would these two teams be on MLB Network all day long? Well, as they put on Instagram, the rivalry's back. Yankees, Red Sox. Uh, Red Sox lost game one. So if you're looking in the standings, that means the A's and the Red Sox are now tied in the wild card standings again. So, if you're looking, Yankees, Red Sox, uh, that's a big series this week. But uh, who are you rooting for, really? I mean, In- you- injuries? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Yankees, they get uh, Montgomery and uh, the Sanchino back. But, I mean, you got all the, you got everyone talking about now how Chris Sale is going to save the Red Sox season. He can't pitch every day. I'm sorry, he, but he can't pitch every day. Oh, <laughs> you're saying the Red Sox are done? Uh, their pitching staff stinks. Stinks. Even well, the, their starters ERA coming in today was like 452 on the year. 
Well, all I know is I look up there and I went, because I kind of forgot, because I know I didn't I rip this the other day. Where I said, hey, guess 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 what's gonna be a double header on Tuesday? Didn't I rip that the other day? I think so, yeah. I mean I mean you kind of knew that the, with them playing it was gonna be on all don't worry, it'll be on uh Wednesday night baseball on ESPN tomorrow. Oh, no, no, I saw the they were advertising all they advertised all because I think I ripped it on, on Friday. Cause they've been advertising it for days. Hey, Tuesday, it's an all day double header. Oh yeah. What other teams get an all day double header in baseball? None, Nobody. None. Nobody, but of course the Red Sox. So we have a cancellation. You're going to tell me that Eloy Jimenez is more important than being on A's cast live. Yeah. Scott just texted me and said that five fifteen, so five fifteen central. So three fifteen for us is going to be tough. So, um, looks like we're going to have to, well, we'll be fine. There's plenty to talk about in an hour, but yeah, it looks like no Scott Merkin to talk about the socks, no, the other socks, the pale host. Uh, it was funny. Robert Costa texted me yesterday and said, "Are we counting pale hoes as well with the uh, the South Side references?" I said, oh, "I man. said let's just do South Side for now." I, I started counting up through the second inning. I, I started with Vince doing the lineups through the second inning because I had to go to the store. I think I was at eight. Eight. When I asked Robert at the end of the game, he said he was up to a couple dozen. So I mean, if a couple dozen, that means we're already in the thirties, and that was only game one. I I wanted to set it like 50-something, but I'm like, God, that seems a little high. By the way, can I get a job writing for MLB.com? Uh, no offense to some of the content that's on there, but prob- I mean, we... I mean, I mean, literally, you don't have to be a good writer. And everything is Captain Obvious. And everything you do is, I just I would just come up with these lists, right? You make up a list... You pick a guy and you write a paragraph and then you're good. So uh, I saw this today and I just went, this is literally the most captain obvious. Anthony Castro Vince, friend of the program. No offense. I saw this one too. Yeah. Uh, Each contender's biggest difference maker. So you think, okay, difference maker. Like who's a guy that could be a difference maker that isn't like, oh yeah, of course. Number one, Chris Sale of the Red Sox. Wow, that's a really... Number two for the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. Number three for the Yankees. Now, I'll give him this one. Corey Kluber. Yes. Kluber, you never know. I mean, he's coming back from a minor... I don't even know when he's going to be back. He's, he's in the minor leagues right now within a rehab stint. So, I'll give him that one. Number four with the A's. So this is a team that obviously we cover closer than any other team. Um, what would be the most captain obvious, biggest difference maker going forward for the Oakland Athletics? Um, well, I have, I mean, I have my who I would put, but I know, but I'm I not asking for. Who I know, you would put. I know, but I saw the article. Already, so I know the answer, and the answer is Starling Marte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was there was Darling Marte. Well, there was one yesterday. Every team's biggest free agent going into the offseason. Who do you think the A's was? It, it wasn't Mark. It wasn't Marte. Mark Hanna. Mark Hanna. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Let me do number five with the Dodgers. It's Clayton Kershaw. 
Oui. Number six with the with the Phillies, Ian Kennedy. All right. I mean, that's interesting. They just brought him over. But I just like the names on here are just cat. Like you can't come, come up with something creative. Like Jed Lowry. Why Jed Lowry? Well, Jed Lowry is playing a key role because he is the one guy that the A's, other than like he and Matt Olson, have been the two guys that have been consistent driving in runs. Or how about this? Throw it out. Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's starting to hit. Right? That's where we're starting to see from Matt Chapman. He is, you got to give him his due. Four home runs in three games. Is that a brutal year? Do not tell me about the runs he's driven in. That's great. But Matt Chapman, if you ask Matt Chapman, if you had a good year, he's going to tell you no. He might even get the 20 home runs. And you can ask Matt Chapman, do you think he had a good year offensively? He's going to say no because he has much higher expectations. And for some reason, the people who cover this team, they don't have high expectations. But for us, my expectations of him is I'm not expecting a huge batting average. I'm expecting 30-plus bombs. I'm expecting 95 RBIs. I'm expecting, I mean, hell, I'm expecting, you want $200 million a year? You better be You better be driving in over 100 RBIs a year. And you better be winning that gold glove. You want that kind of money? Yeah, I've expected, if you have expectations for yourself, then I have expectations for you. That's fair, isn't it? No, I, I agree. And see, those are, those are two guys that are good options. I was going to say A.J. Puck. Because the way he's pitched since he's come back from the, since he's come back from Vegas has been pretty exceptional. I mean, the four innings he's only given up one hit. Uh, his fastball looks back to where it was when he came up in 2019. He just looks smooth out there. He could be a difference maker for them coming out of the bullpen. He has that high velocity from the left side. I mean, that's the guy that he could be a huge asset for for Bob going forward. I mean, that's not a captain obvious pick. That's a thinking outside. Oh. That's, a, that's a thinking outside the box kind of pick. Yeah, because you know how many people would read that article and go, uh, "Who's AJ Puck?" Yeah, exactly. They have to go, then you have to look up who he is and see what he's done. Yeah, it'd be more like the list of the top ten most daring list of players that must perform to get you to the postseason. So you can't give me uh, your standard guy. You grab oh, it at the headline. You grab it at the headline. It's Cody Bellinger. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, seriously. I mean, seriously. Yeah, but A.J. Puck, I mean, can he be that guy? I mean, when the pressure is on at his age, what he has done so far, what he has overcome, how many people would bet on him? How many people would bet on A.J. Puck? Think about that. No one knows who the hell he is. Unless you're someone that was really into the draft or really into prospects, but you really bet on saying, all right, crucial moment, game whatever of a postseason series, you're in there, big boy, go get him. A.J. Puck, at 24 years old, gave you 11 and a third innings. 2-0 with a 3.18 ERA. Struck out 13 and 11 and a third. I mean, you, you know, A.J. Puck, what does he got for you? Well, then he gets hurt. And he's come back, and he's given you seven and a third in five innings, and he's got a zero ERA. He hasn't been scored on yet. 
I got to tell you, the not the the only non-velocity guy right now, and I hate to say this, but we got to be real. The only non-velocity guy that I'm willing to throw in there when it matters right now is Sergio Romo. It's just, it is what it is. Sergio has the wrinkle. He's got the spinner, the Frisbee, whatever you want to call it. It's not your traditional slider. And he's back to having great confidence against lefties. He's got the movement and the changeup to get him out. He's got his swagger back. I mean, in a game that really matters. Because you got to hope. Like, I think, did, did Chicago show us last night, if there was anything you learned from that game, that the back of the bullpen, everybody coming in, throwing darts. It's hard to hit. It really, really is hard when someone's blowing 99 miles an hour and they know where it's going and they have any type of breaking stuff. Matt Chapman had no chance against Kimbrell yesterday. I like, hey, by the way, I'll give Chapman credit. Did, did you notice something from that at bat? Did you watch it? I was watching. I was walking to get food, but I was watching on the game. The game day. I, you're talking about the Kimbrel at bat, right? Yeah. So you didn't get well, to actually visually. I didn't see see it. visually see, but I saw the. I was watching the pitch by pitch thing, and I saw somewhere some of the pitches. I mean, I know he battled. I know some of the pitches with the the curveball that he knuckle curvy swinging went low and away out of the zone were were bad. But and he battled in the in the at bat. I mean, he he got to what? Well, how many pitches were thrown in the at bat? But it was well over. How many pitches was it? Like seven or eight in the at bat at least. The number one thing was he choked up. Something you rarely see, Matt Chapman. I don't know if I've ever seen him do it, but he choked up because he knew I got a guy up there and Matt Chapman's not great with velocity. I don't have the data to prove that. That's a visual thing. You know, a lot of these home runs that he's hit recently have not been off fastballs of 95 plus I think that plays for his game like last night Keichel flipping him a breaking ball and a couple of those bombs in Texas we could go back and check but those weren't high velocity pitches Chapman has struggled with velocity this year but I like when you got a guy like Kimbrell throwing whatever 97 98 99 choking up a little bit trying to help you out with that velocity. I respected that. You know what that's called? A two-strike approach? An adjustment. That's called an adjustment. And you know what? Very, very smart to do that. Instead of just punching out all the time, make an adjustment. I have no problem. Choke up a little bit. Make some contact. You have the type of power, natural raw power, that you don't have to grip it and rip it to hit it out of the ballpark. I think you saw the example yesterday when he hit the home run off Keuchel. Josh Harrison yesterday had this to say in the postgame show. Out of anything that caught my ear yesterday in the postgame show, this was it. We've all played this game long enough. Um, it's 2021. Everybody's throwing hard. So I, I don't think it's a matter of who's in the bullpen. Um, as I said, it doesn't really matter who's on the other side. Um, the only difference is, you know, you, you got to find a way to get comfortable, stick your nose in there. I mean, I got a couple pitches, 99 at the head and in. 
Um, sometimes you got to psych yourself out. Um, you know, it's baseball, but I mean, velocity as part of the game now. So it's not a matter of trying to run from it or, or this or that. I mean, everybody's throwing hard. So, I mean, it's a challenge. That's, that's what we're all up for. And, you know, they got lucky tonight. That's what I call it. They got lucky. I don't think you can say it any better. And it's something that we have addressed here on A's Cast Live. Folks, everybody's throwing hard at every level. I've now been to, what, two San Jose Giant games, both against the Fresno Grizzlies with you, one for your bachelor party and one for the start of the season. Right? Yes, both against Fresno. You're correct. And whether it was Fresno or San Jose, everybody coming in is blowing cheese. That's correct. These guys, so when, when I was around San Jose Giants baseball, in the 96, 97, that was high A, not low A. And the guys in high A back then were not even throwing close as hard as these guys are in low A. Every level, are you watching the College World Series? You go to minor league baseball games, everybody's throwing hard. Way harder than they used to. And I do think pitching is way harder than it used to be. Like, I would never in the world take anything away from this guy. But my buddy was texting me yesterday going, well, you know, Stu, I'm like, you can't compare the guys that pitched in the 80s and the 90s who threw 92, 93, and that was hard. You can't compare them to what's going on today. It's a whole different, whole different ballgame. Back then, 95 was hard. You were a you were a flamethrower at 95. Man, who doesn't throw 95? And if you don't throw 95, you better be funky. You better have multiple pitches. You better be hard to see, like bass, sea bass, cap. I mean, I'm talking from a right-handed standpoint. You got to be tough to see. I still don't know. I've never, you know, I've never seen the video of what, what it's like to see the ball coming from from Caprellian. I've never seen it, but I do know when he pitches, I mark down a lot of reverse Ks. And when you mark down reverse Ks, that means guys don't see it. So however he hides the baseball, he's hiding the baseball. So guys that hide the baseball or someone like Chris Bassett, who's just funky and he's all arms and all legs, I wish people could see when I do that. I, I don't know what I look like when I do that. But uh, we call him the Prey Manus. That Those are guys that don't have to throw 90. Like Liam Hendricks, there's, there is nothing hard to see about what Liam Hendricks is bringing. He's short. He's right over the top. And it's coming right at you. But it's high velocity. Kimbrell kind of gets under it a little bit, if you notice. And, that, and it looks like, I mean, physically... The ball can't rise. There is no proof, scientific proof, that the ball can actually rise. What it can do is stay on plane longer than guys where it starts to dip. When you throw 99, you could keep it on plane before gravity has a little bit of effect. And the way he kind of has that three quarters and throwing it that high, it's got to be tough to see. But velocity is king, man. And, but Josh said it best. Hey, man, everybody's throwing this hard. We're all used to it now. 
especially the young guys. I mean, if you're a young guy, you've been facing this your entire life. You got kids throwing in high school, 95 plus in high school. That's insane. I mean, I mean, I graduated high school what are we in 2021. I graduated high school 14 years ago now. And kids were, I mean, kids were starting to throw harder, but they weren't throwing that hard. Well, yeah, when you watch the draft, you go, yeah, this kid out of Georgia uh, had, had, a, had a great senior year. He was 12-1 and one with a .97 ERA. Max is out at 97. He's in high school and throws 97 miles an hour? I, I faced guys who played in the big leagues in high school. That they went on from high school baseball to eventually playing the big leagues. Not one of them. I'll give you a guy we faced in the postseason. No one knew who this dude was. San Diego, playoff baseball, North County. I got to remember who he played for. Remember Scott Carl, the lefty that played for the Brewers? The name sounds familiar. Let me look him up. Yeah, look him up real quick. He was, you know, back, back, you you know, when we... When we're talking about late 80s, early 90s, well, late 80s up till 90, um, there were certain areas that didn't have a lot of people in it, like, let's say, the Bay Area. How many people were living in Tracy in 1989? I found him. Um, Carlsbad? Was he Carlsbad? Carlsbad High School. He went to Hawaii. So Carlsbad was not, I mean, obviously he was big at the time, but not, not even close. What is, but you never played. Carlsbad was way north. That's past La Jolla and Del Mar. I have cousins li- live up there. I mean, you drive by there on your way to Disneyland, for God's sakes. So we're playing Carlsbad High. We don't know who any of these guys are. Oh, yeah, we knew who he was after the game. Seven shutout. See you later. And let me tell you the amount of scouts that were there to watch Scott Carl pitch. What did he end up being picked out of Hawaii? He was, he was six-rounder. What was his record in the bigs? 54 and 56 with a... Four eight one ERA. He only he pitched in one hundred and seventy eight games, one hundred and sixty one starts. Yeah, no one knew who he was until that day. He shut us out seven zip and knocked us out of the playoffs. I mean, how many times you find? How many times like we're you're talking? What was that? Eighty eight or eighty nine? How many times you find a six four lefty throwing like ninety miles an hour in high school? Well, now you got a guy like AJ Puck throwing ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and it's all re- more recently where this has happened. Hey, he's just gonna he's just gonna bring it down a little bit and throw ninety eight miles. And his arm feels better now. He's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight. Can you imagine being in high school or can you imagine college? You're facing that Florida team, and here comes AJ Puck, and you're facing a guy throwing ninety seven, ninety eight, and you're you're like what? Velocity is king, but you know what also is king? Jermaine Die. I haven't talked to Jermaine Die in a long time. Uh, a a White Sox, a World Series hero, a World Series MVP. He was a great A. He was a great Chicago White Sox. Earlier today, we got to catch up with Jermaine Dye from San Diego. Well, it's an absolute honor to have a great A on the program. And since we're talking about the A's and the White Sox, yes, he played for the White Sox also, had some monster years on the south side. Jermaine Dye is with us once again. How are you? It's good to hear your voice. I'm doing great. It's great to be on. Good to, uh, good to talk to you guys, talk to you today. 
Yeah, talk a little baseball. You know, I think about your time with the A's. You know, you're one of the last guys to wear 24 before uh, retired for Ricky Henderson. Just talk about your time with the green and gold. Oh, I had a blast, you know, especially, you know, being able to uh, be born in Oakland and grow up, you know, literally 30, 45 minutes from there. I mean, I had a, a, a great time there. Uh, we had a great, great ball club. Um, some of the best times of my career were in Oakland, um, you know, with the Moneyball team and just being able to, uh, when I first heard that I was getting traded there, um, you know, you can only imagine, you know, how my mind was running, you know, family members being able to see me play close to home. And um, I knew it would be a little hectic at first for the first year, but I enjoyed my time there, had a blast. We had a good team, and I and I wanted to make sure that I got off to a good start and kind of, you know, prove to myself and prove to Oakland why they brought me over, and uh, I had a good first year there. You know, you had that young group in Kansas City that you guys all grew up with, and then they started selling everybody off. How tough was that to leave Kansas City? I mean, it was tough. You know, that's kind of kind of where I like to to you know look at where I kind of made a name for myself. Um, you know, I got traded over there after my rookie year in Atlanta and kind of grew up with uh, the Johnny Damons of the world, Carlos Beltrons, Joe Randa, Mike Sweeney. Um, we had a great, great team, great city to play in. I actually made that my home for four years, lived there in the off season, And, you know, it was a great, great time. I mean, it was, it was good. You know, we showed signs of being a, a, a good ball club and, you know, it's just unfortunate we couldn't see that team through for a few more years to see what we actually could have done if we had a couple more pieces uh, brought in. But uh, overall, you know, you, you kind of understand baseball is a business and um, a lot of players don't get a chance to play in one spot their whole career. So um, you move on and go to the next team and try to um, build camaraderie with those guys and uh, try to win a championship with that club too. You know, basically almost every year you're with the A's, you were in the postseason. Just talk about the great success you had during that time. I had a lot of great success there, you know, from day one. Um, anytime you're surrounded with uh, a, a lot of good players, uh, our pitching staff was unbelievable. Um, as you know, you know, it all starts with the uh, pitching and defense and timely hitting. So uh, for me to fit right in there with uh, – you know, the Giambis and the Tejadas and the Eric Chavez and um, Johnny Damon and you know, this goes on. And um, to be able to fit right in and be around the same age as those guys, about the same amount of years in the big leagues, um, you know, Art Howe, that, that ball club, you know, I, I like to feel like it was, you know, family, we all got along. We all hung out, you know, away from the ball field, did dinners together. Our kids were about the same age um, during that time. So we had a lot in common. And, you know, we just had a lot of success. And I think, uh, you know, Jason Giambi was, you know, our leader. He took a lot of pressure off a lot of guys, a lot of uh, telling guys to relax, just go out there and play our game. And, and uh, you know, we, we had a great Great couple seasons, couple hundred win years uh, while I was there. 
no doubt about it. And, and when you go back and look at the Moneyball year, whether you read the book or you saw the movie, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it definitely was no doubt a great, um, great movie. Um, there were some scenes that were, you know, factual. You know, of course, you know, there are, uh, like any movie that is made, you know, there is the little Hollywood touches, I like to say, put on it. But overall, that was that was pretty much our ball club. I mean, seemed like all the right moves were made. Um, you know, it was just it was just a treat to, you know, be a part of something like that and be a part of a ball club like that. And um, to this day, you know, I'll never forget, you know, that that 21 season in a row where we won 20 games in a row. Yeah. You look back on that and you think about how many big hits so many guys had, especially Miguel Tejada, as you start getting into win 16, 17 and 18. I mean, was that just like living in a dream? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's crazy is never changed. Like, yeah, we, we kind of knew what was going on, but you know, when we got to like win the, 12 or 13 or 14, we didn't change. You know, the media talked about it more, but guys didn't change. We still, you know, drove remote control cars before batting practice out on the field. We still, you know, did our thing, you know, played music in the clubhouse. And uh, our routine never changed. Like, nobody panicked. And we kind of just got together and just said, hey, guys, let's go play. Um you know, somebody else be a, a contributor tonight. Let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, with our pitching staff, yeah, of course, it, it became easier. We didn't have to go out and put pressure on ourselves to score a lot of runs. Uh, with that staff of Zito Motor, Hudson, and, you know, Israel, all these, all these guys on that team. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable, um, the, the, the pitching staff that we had. And I feel like they should have recognized those guys more in Moneyball, but, it is what it is, but, you know, overall, you know, for Scott Hattieberg to not play in the 20th game and hit a walk-off home run like that, I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it was a magic. It was a magical time, and it was so magical. They wrote a book about it, and the movie got no nominated for an Oscar. That's how magical it was. And then you sign with the Chicago White Sox, and you end up putting up some monster years. What was it like your time in Chicago? I mean, it was awesome. Once again, you know, uh, I go to a team, a ball club that, um, as a free agent on paper, I felt like I felt like you know we had a good chance to uh, do some good things over there in Chicago, and you know we basically had a bunch of like unselfish guys that were pulling on the same end of the rope. You know, you have Ozzie Guillen, who played the game before. He took a lot of pressure off, you know, playing in a big city like that. A lot of, uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of reports every night um, in a big city. So, you know, it, it could be a lot of pressure playing in a big city. But Ozzie knew how to, uh, if we were struggling, you know, he knew how to, maybe say something crazy in the media to put the attention on him. And, uh, you know, we just got back on track and went out there and started winning ball games again. But, 
you know, once again, pitching, timely hitting, and guys pulling on the same end of the rope. And I remember Kenny Williams would always use that expression, pulling on the same rope. And you end up, you know, when you, when you talk about winning a World Series and how special that is, and we have Jeff Blum on all the time because he's now with the Houston Astros. Just talk about your time with that group and bringing a championship to a team that, let's face it, the White Sox had literally zero playoff appearances for so many years. Just what was that like to kind of break a curse? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, especially to um, go to a ball club and then, you know, out of spring training, we were probably picked maybe fourth in that division to 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 uh, not really contend for a playoff spot. So, you know, we got off to a good start, you know, kept it rolling for most of the year and then uh, kind of fell off a little bit towards the end, but then picked it right back up. Uh, towards the last couple of weeks of the season and rode that wave right into uh, through the playoffs. But, you know, to be able to get, get good, good years out of uh, and good performances out of like a Bobby Jinx, for example, to come in and be our closer and out of nowhere and, and do what he did. I mean, we had to have a lot of breaks, you know, we didn't have that many injuries that year. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just awesome to be a part of, you know, to be able to go 11 and one through the playoffs in the World Series was unbelievable. I don't, I don't even think that'll ever be done again. Um, and um, to be able to just have fans around the city that have been diehard White Sox fans um, say that you know their parents, they're glad their parents were able to um, and grandparents able to see a white Sox championship before they passed away that gave me chills and and just let me know how special it was to win a world series and um even cubs fans we had cubs fans that just were like just happy for chicago to be able to win a championship so when you win it in a big city and and you go around the city and hear all the stories about you know hoping that their team wins i mean it's just awesome to be a part of and you think about your entire life. You want to, as a kid, growing up, you become a professional. It's like that dream to be not only a World Series champion, but to be a World Series MVP. I mean, looking back on it now, obviously retired, uh, but just when you think about it, you're a World Series MVP. What does that mean to you? Oh, it means the world. I mean, it's something that I can honestly admit I never imagined – um, even never crossed my mind. I think what what crossed my mind was just being growing up was just a being able to get drafted and be a, a major league baseball player someday. Uh, we all know that there are a lot of great have never played in the World Series. So let alone uh, me winning the World Series and being the MVP of the World Series. It's something that I never dreamed of. Now, I think when you become a Major League Baseball player and, you know, as your career is going on, then you focus on, I, I want to win a championship. Um, and then I want to get to the World Series, right? But, you know, when it happened, you, you, it really didn't hit me until a couple of days after where, you know, we fly home from Houston and, we are about 10 of us are just sitting out 
downtown on Rush Street in Chicago, and we're at a restaurant on the patio, and then all of a sudden, people start coming up and just, you know, congratulating you and just saying MVP and all this stuff. I think that's when it really sets in and, and you realize, oh, my God, I was the MVP of the World Series. I'm, I'm, I am blessed. Now, being an MVP, you have to have a lot of luck. you got to have a lot of good players around you. I mean, any, you know, Joe Creedy could have been MVP also. So I just happened to have the game-winning hit in the eighth inning and the game four to help us win the World Series, right? So, um, but definitely feel blessed. It's, it's an honor to be called an MVP of, the, of you know, the White Sox and, and all that. And, uh, you know, it's definitely special. I love how you've connect, uh, you've kept the connection with the organization and, and with Illinois. Talk about the golf tournament that you put on every single year. It's a great charity event. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a great event. It's Fresh Start Caring for Kids. So it's based out of San Diego. Um, been around for 25 years, over 25 years now. And what it is is uh, – We've teamed up with Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego and Comer Children's Hospital in Chicago. And we have to raise money for either kids, it doesn't matter who it is, that are either born with a deformity and can't afford, you know, insurance because it's cosmetic. What we do is we we, uh, bring these kids in or teenagers or whoever, and we... Uh, the, the, the doctors do the surgeries for free. They donate, the hospitals donate the OR rooms um, for free. We just have to raise money to, to put them up uh, during the time that they have the surgeries and, you know, pay for the medicines and the, the, the supplies and all that stuff. So it's something that, uh, that I've done now for over the tournament myself, I host, has been over six years, but I've been a part of it for over. 10 years, 10 years now. So um, I've been in there. I've, I've talked to the kids before they've gone in surgery and to just to see their smiles on their face when they come out and know that, you know, they're going to get a possibly a fresh start in life and not going to be bullied or made fun of because they may look different. is just special and, and something that uh, I love being a part of. Well, you're good people, and, and I loved covering you, and you're, you'll always be in Oakland A, and this will always be a big part of your home, uh, and continued success. I know you're living the good life down there in San Diego. You've earned it. Be well and be safe, and let's talk again soon, and if you ever need us, let us know how we can help. Oh, definitely. I appreciate it, and go A's and go White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm not going to be mad at that. The guy's a World Series hero with the White Sox. All right, Cody, what we got today? Well, uh, let me hit the music, but there's some good, there's a couple of good buying or sellings. I know one of them you might get a little heated on, so let's uh, let's get to heated. it. Heated. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, so I'll save it for uh, let's. Well, I'll get we'll get warmed up and then we'll get to the one. So, uh, well, the Red Sox are now tied for the uh, the wild card with the A's after their loss in the doubleheader on MLB Network because the rivalry's back again with the Yankees. Uh, but they trail in the AL East and now it's by four games to the Rays. 
But on Saturday, they got their ace back. Chris Sell returned versus the Orioles. Going their forward. ace. Yeah, he is their ace. I mean, they don't have any other pitchers. Uh, Erod, I mean, I thought Erod would be their ace, but um, he's not very good this year. Uh, the rest of their pitchers uh, all stink ERA-wise. So getting Chris Sell back was a nice boost for the guy coming off Tommy John surgery. He won five innings, struck out eight. He allowed two runs. They were back-to-back -back home runs. The Red Sox started a crucial series against the Yankees today, which, well, they already lost uh, game one. But Chris Sell, which, by the way, he's never, won a, he's never won a Cy Young, which is just crazy if you think about it, for how good he's been for the White Sox and the Red Sox. Uh, the Red Sox starters coming into this uh, coming into the series the, against the Yankees today had a combined 4.52 ERA. The Red Sox have 12 games remaining versus the worst teams in baseball. So, no, that's hope if you're a Red Sox fan. Buying or selling, Chris Sale will lead the Red Sox to the AL East division title. Oh, I'm selling. To get that trash out of here, move on. Yeah, well, I yeah. figured I'd ask. All right, so the biggest story. Move on, nothing to see here. The biggest story in baseball continues to be on the West Coast, and no one talks about it. And no, it's not the Padres and Nando playing right field. No, it's not Shohei Otani. It's the team with the best record in baseball. That's the Giants, who are 77 and 42. Now, they re-signed 34-year-old Brandon Crawford the other day to a two-year, $32 million deal. And he's one of the top 10 players in the league in batting average, which is crazy at the age of 34. I heard Sarah drop a stat earlier, too, that he has a 547 slugging percentage at the age of 34. Only, like, two other guys have ever done that have a slugging percentage over 500, and they've never done it before ever in their career at the age of 34 or older. It was like Brett Gardner and like one other player. So it's pretty remarkable. Well, the Giants need to make a decision on Buster Posey, and uh, apparently they're looking to lock him up. But they also need to make a decision on Chris Bryant, who's a free agent after the year. In 12 games with the Giants, Bryant is hitting 321 with three homers and eight RBI, and the Giants are 12-3 and three since the trade deadline. But nationally, all everyone ever talks about when you talk about the West Coast is the Dodgers and Nando. No love towards the A's as well. Buying or selling, the Giants will re-sign Chris Bryant this offseason. I'm buying that. Because they got money. They got a lot of money. And when's, is Belt gone after this? I think he's a free agent, but he's another guy that... Oh, they're never going to bring him back. You get rid of his money... Uh, what what's Longoria's deal? Uh, he's still under contract for a couple more years, I believe. You're gonna move him to first base. Have Bryant play third. I mean, Crawford's money isn't that big, right? It was two for thirty-two, so sixteen mil a year. What was he making before? Uh, it was his deal originally signed was like five for seventy-five. So was that like fifteen mil a year? All right, so it's around the same. Yeah, I I totally see them signing him. They got cash. They've talked about it. And Buster's not, I mean, Buster, whatever Buster's deal is, it's not, you know, it's going to be one, two years. I mean, he the $100 million deal's done after this year, right? Uh, I think, he, yeah, he's a free agent. Uh, when is Buster a free agent? I think it is after this year. Yeah, he's up after this year. So, I mean, they'll sign him to it, but it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be a franchise friendly contract. Yeah, plus he's what thirty. Oh, they'll have the money for it. Yeah, I can totally see them making up Brian. Well, he's 30, he's thirty four years old, and going into next year, he'd be thirty. He'd be thirty five years old for Buster Posey. Brian will be thirty going into next year. So they can if they can bring him back for what he's done for them already, probably the second biggest trade de deadline deal behind what the A's got with Selling Marte. 
isn't it interesting how he had struggled so much in Chicago recently with the whole trade thing over his head? Now in San Francisco playing free and he's ripping it again. Yeah, you looked good last night. He two home runs last night against the strug- struggling New York Mets, who uh, they weren't happy that they had to uh, they had to play uh, a game on Sunday Night Baseball and then travel to the West Coast. A Buster is a Buster has a team option for next year for twenty two million with a three million dollar buyout. So he's not a free agent until twenty twenty three. But he could be a phrase next year if they bought him out, which yeah. $3 million, I think they'll buy would him that out. go over well? I mean, that would be the smart thing to be like, hey, listen, we want you to be here for a long time, spend your whole career here. We're going to buy you out, give you $3 million. We'll give you $10, mil, 10 12 whatever a year. That'll save us money to keep Chris Bryant, win, maybe win some more championships. I, I mean, Buster's got to realize at some point his value and age – you know, do you want to win? Do you want to stay here? It'll be a question. Yeah, you could buy him out, then resign him too. Think about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. exactly. All right, so we're getting close to hitting the panic button in Slam Diego. They lost again last night in Colorado on a walk-off home run by not the not the uh, Crone Zone that you think of when you think of uh, Jake Cronenworth, but CJ Crone hit the walk-off home run for the Rockies. They just signed Jake Arrieta because Hugh Darvish is on the IL. They currently lead the Reds by only a game and a half for the second wild card for the second wild card in the National League. Their offense is underperformed. Their pitching stinks. They, uh, they're 11 games back of the Giants in the NL West, and Fernando Tatis has missed over 30 games this year. But Kerry Crowley, our friend of the Barrier News Group, who covers the Giants, believes that if he wants to come back and manage next year, Bruce Bochy is the perfect fit for the San, Di- San Diego Padres. Well, it makes perfect sense since he started his managerial career there, and it would be a full-circle move just like Tony La Russa, and the White Sox. Bochy won 951 games with the Padres from 1995 to 2006 and took them to the World Series in 1998. Buying or selling, Bruce Bochy will be the manager of the Padres in 2022. Just because I'm a troll, I would love to see it. Bochy to go back against the Giants would just be troll city. I would love it. I'm buying. Uh, I think it's going to happen. Jace Tingler might oh, I would just, from the standpoint, oh, Boach, Boach, you know, you're a giant forever, Boach. And to see Boach come back as a manager against him would just be so good. For uh, what's what's their, uh, ha- what's their hashtag? Forever giant? Well, he's forever giant. And then have him come back like some, I don't know how they're going to figure it, figure it out. I mean, I, I don't know how the Padres get better. They got some firepower, but I don't know how. But to have the have have Bochi take down the Giants, oh, would be priceless. Wouldn't that be priceless? It, it would be. And it's funny that you mentioned the Giants because, like I said, I, I listened to. We're going to get to the, the next question that involves Je- Jeff Passan and Buster Olney. But I was listening to him earlier, and Passan goes, "Can you believe that the Brewers might finish with the?" Might finish the regular season with the best record in baseball. Pretty much saying how oh, the Giants are going to. He pretty much thinks the Giants could collapse because they have to play a tough schedule. It's like, again, you you're not paying attention to what they they've done all year long. They, they play, win every night. They win literally like every night. They don't lose. There's third. They're thirty. What thirty five games over five hundred. They're not there because it's a fluke. They're good. Buying so, or selling, Bruce Bochy ends Gabe Kapler's career in San Francisco. Uh, selling. Cappy's a giant for life. Boach <laughs> takes down Cappy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a revenge series when it happens. All oh, right. we're such trolls. It's right. great. Last one from July 24th to July 30th. Joey Votto won on a home run surge. 
He had seven, a home run in seven straight games. But why am I bringing this up? Because our friend Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs wrote an article about Votto titled, Joey Votto has gotten his groove back. Well, he fell short of the record. The 37-year-old first baseman is in the midst of his best season since 2017. He's currently hitting 284. He has an on-base percentage of 377, and his slugging is at 575. He has 26 home runs and a war of 2.2. Votto's career war right now is at 63, which we talk about the threshold being 60. He has 321 career homers and a career 148 OPS+. Jaffe wrote a tweet saying, as the trade deadline approached, Joey Votto won on home run bins that demanded attention and came within inches of tying the major league record for consecutive games with a home run. Not only is he mashing again, it's time it's about to push his future Hall of Fame candidacy over the line. Buster Olney and Jeff Passan today both agreed he's a Hall of Famer and he could be a unanimous Hall of Famer because of the modern era of baseball in which he played his career in. Buying or selling, Joey Votto is inching closer to being a Hall of Famer. Wait a minute. A unanimous? Yep. You heard that right. You're saying a guy with a 63.1 career war should be a unanimous Hall of Famer? Uh, I'm just, that's what I heard on the podcast. I'm telling you now, I have, I have absolutely fallen in love with Joey Votto. When Joey Votto says, I'm trying to hit home runs and he's flexing to the stand, <laughs> that's my kind of guy. I, I became a fan of Joey Votto this year. You know what? He's got a couple of years left. Yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to be a Hall of Famer in the end because he's going to get over 70 war, and we've always said 70 war is a Hall of Famer. Oh, we always said 60 was, I thought. Yeah, 60, but if you hit 70. 70, yeah, you're going to go in. Right? How about this? He just go. He just got over 2,000 hits, right, with the Reds? Yeah, last night was 2,000. And so he's got 2,001. How many do you think he is behind Pete Rose for the Reds record? Um, this uh, unanimous uh, Hall of Famer. At least 1,500. At least. 1,357 hits away from just Pete Rose's record as a Cincinnati Red. Yeah, because he's he's at least, what, 23 behind Pete Rose's record overall. Pete Rose had – Pete Rose as a Cincinnati Red, think about this, had 3,358 hits just as a Cincinnati Red. That's how many hits Pete Rose had. He had a nice little career. You know, you talk about Philly and Montreal. Pete Rose just as a Red. Had over three at thirty at three thousand three hundred and fifty eight. Joey Votto's so far behind him. I mean, Joey Votto's not even close to Barry Larkin yet, who's number two all time. Oh, Larkin's Barry, Larkin, Barry Larkin had two thousand three hundred forty. Yeah, I think I, I now that Vi, and and you know what? I wish I could. We could have Joey Votto on and be like, why didn't you do this years ago when you just all you cared about was walking? You've always had the power. You've always been hitting in this band box. I mean, yeah. Joey Votto, if he would have hit more, I mean, we would look at him different. I mean, but that is, isn't that so weak? Uh, he walked a lot. That's modern day baseball. You know what? We're trying to get away from that because it's boring. He never really cared about home runs because he had guys like Brandon Phillips in that lineup, Jay Bruce, that hit the home he runs. Now and it's great. Yeah. Well, he's trying to get to the playoffs again. <laughs> I thought it was great. I loved when I heard that interview. It was like, yeah, I'm trying to hit home runs. I'm like, yeah, let's go. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, they're trying to reach the postseason for the first time since 2013. So he's he's trying to be the leader for the team. He's 37 years old. Okay, I was just looking at his – I think he's got two years left after this. Yeah, he's making a lot of money. He's made a lot of money. Good for him. He's so worth it. Small market. Uh, he's got – what year are we in? 21. He's got 22, 23, and an option for 24. So he has potentially three more years left. By the way, his buyout $7 million. So he'll make 25 next year. 25 the year after that, and then uh, 20 in 2024 with a club option. I don't know if he plays three. If he play, if he plays two more years, he'll get over 70 WAR, and that's a Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, if he's hitting like he is now, I mean, like I said, 284 average. He's 26 home runs, 37. He'll get. He'll definitely get in. He's got seven. He's got 7.9 points, or how would you want to put that? He's got 7.9 left to get to 70. Yeah. He'll yeah. get that in two years. Yeah, he'll he'll be fine. So, yeah, that's, that's all I got today. Well, we want to thank Jermaine Dye. It wasn't it cool having Jermaine Dye on? Good get by you, Cody. Thank you. I wanted to – because everyone I've, – I've been seeing people talk about on Twitter how Starling Marte has been the, the best trade acquisition at the deadline since Jermaine Dye 20 years ago in, 2000, in 2001. So – Fear to be a good time to bring Jermaine Dye on, and plus we're playing the White Sox, so it's perfect timing. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. If you're Jermaine Dye, and they did that, they did so the White Sox did that 2005 World Series statue. Our guy Blummer's on that, right? Yeah. Jermaine Dye is the World Series MVP. He's not. He's not a part of that statue. Would you be pissed? Yeah, probably. You'd sound petty. Now you're going to come off petty. But you're the World Series MVP, and they have the statue that has a bunch of guys on it, and you're not on it? Well, he he told as he told us, he had the game when he hit in game four. So did, did they win the game without him? He was the MVP. Yeah. He kept the MVP off the statue? Plus, he threw out a name I haven't heard in forever. He threw out Joe Creedy. I haven't heard that name. Creedy, in... By the way, Joe Creedy <laughs> is on the statue. I haven't heard that name in 10 years. I think that's smart, though, is build a statue and put a bunch of dudes on it that were a part of a big part of it. And then you don't have to do one statue for each individual guy. I thought that was brilliant by the White Sox who play where the south side. When am I back on Uh, about nine minutes for 10? Nine minutes. We'll have A's total access for you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to A's cast live tomorrow. What do we got? Uh, we're going to have Darren Jackson, the ra- one, the radio analyst for the Chicago White Sox. All righty. What else? Uh, that's it for right now. We're only on for an hour, so I'll figure something else out. We're efforting? Effort, yeah, we're efforting. Okay. All righty. I will talk to you later, my man, and I'll see all of you at 410. A's fans, join us for the biggest music festival in the fall. It's the inaugural Battle Axe and Tracks Music Festival, held October 2nd and 3rd in Carson City, Nevada. Grammy Award nominees Kenny Wayne Shepard, Larkin Poe, Samantha Fish, and North Mississippi All-Stars are just four of the 15 acts. Festival activities also include axe throwing and freedom rail bike tours. Tickets on sale now with VIP two-day and single-day tickets available. Check out the full schedule at BattleAxeAndTracks.com. That's BattleAxeAndTracks.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.